podcast or find us online at wjffradio.org. I'm Patricia Robayo. Thanks for listening. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on viewing the planet Saturn in the evening sky. Stephanie Phillips visits Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor to speak with Wes Gillingham. In her segment, Now You Know, We'll hear about life off the grid in the Catskills. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. First, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. The big climate and health care bill passed by the House Friday also provides tens of billions of dollars in new funding for the IRS. NPR's Scott Horsley reports that money is designed to help the tax collection agency crack down on wealthy tax cheats. Some of the new funding will be used to update antiquated computers at the IRS, and some is earmarked to improve customer service, including a taxpayer phone line where 9 out of 10 calls go unanswered. Natasha Saran of the Treasury Department says most of the money is for beefed-up tax enforcement and more scrutiny of wealthy taxpayers who may be underreporting their income. You're going to have an IRS that for the first time in its history has the resources it needs to police evasion by the top 1% of the distribution, which today is costing hundreds of billions of dollars in uncollected tax revenue. The bill was passed on a strict party-line vote over stiff opposition from the GOP. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Lawyers and doctors are trying to spread advice on abortion before it's outlawed in some states. Blake Farmer of member station WPLN reports from Tennessee, where a total ban on the procedure starts August 25th. Planned Parenthood and the city of Nashville co-hosted a panel to offer a few warnings. Dr. Ellen Clayton, a physician and law professor at Vanderbilt, says everyone should be careful what they do online since it could become criminal evidence. You have to be smart. I'm telling everybody, do not use Facebook. Do not use social media. Lawyers warn that the only way to get a legal abortion will be to leave the state of Tennessee. For those who can't, using abortion medication will be a violation of law, though it's unclear who would be prosecuted, since patients seeking abortions are not supposed to be punished. No matter what, physicians say anyone experiencing complications should still go to a hospital and just let the doctor assume it's a miscarriage. For NPR News, I'm Blake Farmer in Nashville. Today is Election Day in Hawaii. The 50th state is the only one in the country that holds its primary election on a Saturday. Hawaii Public Radio's Bill Dorman has details. The biggest primary contest is the governor's race. Current Lieutenant Governor Josh Green is leading the polls, followed by businesswoman and former First Lady Vicki Cayetano. Congressman Kai Kahele was a relatively late entry to the race, but has gained support giving up what was considered a safe seat in the House to join the race for governor. Hawaii Public Radio's Bill Dorman. Author Salman Rushdie remains hospitalized a day after a stabbing attack at a speaking event in New York. His agent says he could lose an eye and suffered serious injury to his liver. 
The suspect is identified as a 24-year-old American from Fairview, New Jersey. No motive has been reported. You're listening to NPR News in Washington. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Stephanie Phillips visits Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor and speaks with Wes Skillingham. In her segment, Now You Know, we'll hear about life off the grid in the Catskills. But first, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on viewing the planet Saturn. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced farm and country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard and this is Star Talk. This is the best time of year to view Saturn. It will be prominent in the evening sky through November. Saturn will be in opposition on Sunday, meaning it will be opposite the sun in our sky. The full lighted side of Saturn will be facing Earth, making it appear brighter than normal. Saturn is the most distant planet we can see with the unaided eye and shines a bright golden color in the night sky. It will be easy to find Saturn in the night sky. On Sunday, Saturn will be out from sunset to sunrise and will be shining brilliantly. In the evening, look to the southeast for a bright golden point of light. Saturn will be the brightest object in the southeastern sky this week. As evening progresses, Saturn will climb higher and higher in the sky. It will reach its highest point in the sky nearly due south at 1 a.m. If you have a telescope, wait until Saturn climbs high in the sky before looking at it as the sky gets darker the farther it is from the horizon. This allows for a crisper image of objects when viewed through binoculars or telescopes. Currently, Saturn's North Pole is oriented towards us with its rings fully visible. This open view of Saturn's rings makes Saturn a desirable object to view through a telescope. Even a small telescope capable of magnifying Saturn 25 times will allow you to view its rings. Look for Saturn in the southern sky tomorrow to see the ringed planet at opposition. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. operates the farm with his wife Amy. They've lived there and farmed it off the grid for 30 years. It's actually 38 years. Wow. 
Hi, I'm Wes, and I've been here 38 years. Amy's been here 25. We've been farming since Amy's been here, but before that, I worked at other places but lived here, but I still lived off the grid. The story here begins on this land. My parents bought this property. They got it really cheap because there was no road access. My fancy driveway now is something that we put in. It was just two ruts through the woods and you needed a four-wheel driver. You had to walk in to be at this little cabin in a clearing. Your fancy driveway must be a mile long or two miles, I don't know. It must be something to plow. It's only a half mile and I generally, I'm not the person that runs out at the first snowflake. I only plow it when the snow gets too deep to drive through. We have four-wheel drive vehicles, so we will go in and out. In the old days, though, we used to ski in and out. We would park our cars at the road and ski down when there was more snow and before climate change messed up our winters. I am not connected to the grid. We provide most of our food. We don't grow our grains, and I still buy coffee and and some things like that. We don't produce our own cheese. We try to buy local cheese. Yeah, it's pretty simple. When you say off the grid, do you have a solar array here? Yes, and our solar system is basically big enough to run a deep well pump. So we have a gravity feed water system in the house with a trip valve. I have two 50-gallon tanks in the attic, and when they get low, they get filled back up by the deep well pump. And then we have enough of a system to run a washing machine. And in the summertime, I can use a skill saw and stuff like that. In the wintertime, i got to count my wattage. I have eight solar panels on the roof. It's not the same amount of electric that your average American would use, that's for sure. We don't have TVs in every room here. So your solar system doesn't feed back into the grid and then feed back like if you were in the Delaware River Solar or one of these organizational solar arrays? Uh, no, I have 16 basically golf cart batteries in my basement. They say they only last 10 years, but the first batch I had I think lasted 18. So hopefully we'll get that out of this next batch. And we store and we have to count what we're doing in the wintertime. We don't get lake effect snow here, but we get lake effect clouds. So we can have clouds after Thanksgiving. It can go for a long time without a lot of sun. Yeah, we're connected to Delaware River Solar, so to my dismay, when the electricity goes down, ours goes down too, even though we're trying to support the environment. Right. Yep. Yeah, that doesn't happen here. Why did you decide to live off the grid? I used to work for a program called the National Audubon Society Expedition Institute. It was a traveling college program, and I used to teach the Montana, Wyoming, and South Dakota semester. So I'd pick up 20 college students at Bozeman, Montana airport, and we would travel through the region looking at the people history, the ecological history of the region, and the issues that are affecting it now. And then in the spring, I either worked in the desert southwest or the southern Appalachians. So picture me at 20-something, standing on Black Mesa on the Navajo Reservation. Black Mesa is where Peabody Coal Company had some of the largest strip mines in the world. I'm teaching an environmental education program traveling around different parts of the country. I think it was the Cayenta Mine on Black Mesa on the Navajo Reservation. At the time, it was the largest strip mine in the world, and 
standing on this, after having spent part of a semester looking at the Grand Canyon and amazing places and backpacking in these beautiful desert areas and the Superstition Mountains, standing on Black Mesa and every direction, as far as I could see, was a strip mine. It was the most destructive landscape I had ever seen in my life, and it was pretty shocking. And it was doubly shocking if you knew where the coal was going. The coal was getting pulverized and mixed with water and put in a pipeline to be sent down to Page, Arizona, and a power plant down there where they could provide electric for casinos at Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas is probably one of the most abusive cities in terms of electric use. And I'm looking at this moonscape and standing in the bucket of a drag line that could hold like three school buses in the bucket. That's how big this thing was. It was just really shocking. And I pretty much decided at that moment I didn't ever want to support the electric companies and be hooked up to the grid. So I was already living here, and I was living here in an old summer cabin thing. I was using kerosene lamps and didn't stay up late at night wasting electricity. So I decided I didn't want to ever be hooked up to the grid, and I've been here since. You were a student at the time? I was a teacher's assistant. I went on that college program, got really excited about it, and then I applied for a job, and then... I ended up teaching, and I was a director of field programs for a bunch of years. What does it mean to live off the grid? It doesn't mean you entirely have everything that you make yourself. Well, technically, living off the grid means you're just not hooked up to the electric grid. You can live off the grid and have a really fancy, expensive house with a bunch of batteries, and it'd be not a whole lot different than anywhere else. To me, off the grid, really, it's just a term, but my lifestyle is really about having as little impact on the planet as possible. I've spent too much of my life traveling around the country and seeing, you know, I worked for the National Audubon Society, I worked for the Park Service, I've led canoe trips in the Everglades and hiking trips in Montana and Wyoming and the Southwest, and I just love the planet too much than to live like your average American. Wes, would you describe your property and your house? It's mostly wooded. It's roughly a 10-acre clearing. So we have a much bigger garden than most people have. And we're able to have that garden. We're at 2,000 feet, class 6 soil. It's really poor soil. It's like 4.6 pH. Like if I didn't mow the field, you'd have blueberries and hardhack is all that would grow here. Tell me about it. I got blueberries and and clay. So we have sheep and Scottish Highland cattle that we've used to both clear some of the land, but also, yeah, we compost their manure and that's how our garden is so abundant. And I put that around our orchard and the grazing that they do on the land is improving the soil and sequestering carbon. And then we eat some of them and that's part of our intake of food, and it's also how we are able to live here. How long did it take you to make this homestead, essentially? How long did it take to make it self-sufficient in energy? Well, that's a trick question, because before I built the house, we were living in a shack, and it was a very simple existence. We didn't have animals. We just had a small garden, but we foraged a lot. When we started farming, we leased a piece of ground down in Youngsville 
because there was bottomland soil and it was good vegetable ground for Sullivan County. And we started a, a CSA, and that was our livelihood for many years. So living here was simple. Our livelihood and some of our food was coming from the field down there. I mean, how long does it to be energy efficient? I mean, I think I've just always had that lifestyle. As soon as I moved here, I was energy efficient. You don't waste energy when it's your energy that's providing half of what you're doing. Do you heat with wood? Yes. The old cabin was uninsulated, and it was when our kids were born. They were born in that old cabin, and they they didn't like running around on the floor because the floor would be so cold. But the house that we built and put in a finished masonry heater, so it's a really efficient stove. It burns the wood at like 1,800 degrees, and it has a flue system that all the heat goes into the brick, and then it's radiant heat. So we have a two-hour fire in the morning in the middle of winter, and then we shut the thing down. It has a guillotine flue on it that you close, so it doesn't have air going through it. And then that heats the house all day long, and then at night, we have a two-hour fire before we go to bed, and that heats it the rest of the time. It's really even heat. It's amazing how well it works. Tell me again what it's called. Well, it's a Finnish masonry heater. Finnish meaning Finland. See, when people started developing stoves in America, wood was abundant, and iron was, and they started making stoves out of iron or steel, in Finland, in the 1600s, they had already cut down most of the trees, so they really had to develop a style of stove that didn't burn as much wood, and they're much more efficient than a regular stove. You're getting like 90% of the fuel load out of a piece of wood versus 60% with these modern converter stoves where you're still only getting like 60% of the fuel. This burns off all the gases that comes out of the stoves. It still has particulate matter that's going into the air, but the emissions from it are much cleaner. They're as clean as an oil burner or cleaner. Wes, how do you cope with the winters? It gets very cold. You have a lot of systems running here. How do you keep them from freezing? Well, that's what they are. They're systems. They don't freeze. I mean, you got to put wood on the thing. But that thing will heat the house for a couple days before anything would freeze if we just left. It's a little more work than the average person, but it's also more satisfying. The other thing to keep in mind, I was explaining that traveling college. When I moved here, I was living in a tent most of the time. Out of an 80-day semester, we slept outside every night, but out of the 80-day semester, we'd spend about 20 or 30 days in the backcountry. I was living in a tent cooking meals on a backpack stove half the time. So coming here and having a stove and... Luxury. It was luxury, yeah, totally. I meant to ask where your water comes from when I was thinking about things freezing. I was thinking about the water. We have a drilled well, and that's where the deep well pump fills the tanks in the attic. Before we did that, we would haul water. There's a spring. That's one of the reasons my parents bought this house is because she really liked the spring that's just down in the woods over there. In the 70 years we've been here, it's only gone dry twice, and that was only temporarily. And you said that you have a well, and then you pump the water up to the roof and then just let it gravity feed? Yeah, it's gravity feed. If you go into my kitchen and turn the faucet on, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference with a regular house. But there's no pump going all the time. It just fills. What that does is it enables me in the wintertime, when the batteries are low and there's not much sun, if I have to, I can start a generator and fill up the tanks. And then I have a override switch, so 
the float valve doesn't go on all the time. In a regular house, a pressurized system, you've got that thing going on all the time to keep the pressure at 40 PSI or whatever. I don't even know what's in a regular house anymore. But uh, this, it's up in the attic, and there's plenty of pressure, and you can take a shower, or you can turn on the faucet, and it's easier. Wes, is your family in tune with the, your ideas of self-sufficiency? Do they complain sometimes about how hard it is? My son really wanted to go to the city. He's at City College right now, and he's looking at international relations. He wants to travel. He wants to do different things. But that wasn't about necessarily it being hard. Lots of people, their kids, they don't want to work at their home. But I know whenever I talk to somebody that he's ever worked for, they're always blown away at how good and hard of a worker he is. And that may have something to do with how he was brought up. And my daughter is trying to figure out a way to stay here. So she runs an internship program for college students in the summer. They just did a whole bunch of programs with Livingston Manor School yesterday. The school came up here with, I don't know, 80 kids or something like that. She gave them a farm tour and taught them about wild edibles and a bunch of stuff. She's trying to figure out how to stay here. Her biggest problem with that is if she's not living here trying to rent a place. We're getting inundated with so many people now. The Airbnb, everybody wants to own a house as an investment and Airbnb it and make passive income, they call it, I think. And there's no reasonable places to rent around here if you're just starting out. And it's kind of sad to see that. Not, it's not so passive. My daughter and son-in-law have an Airbnb and they passively go and make up the beds after every weekend. <laughs> right. I used to go have coffee at Bames in Youngsville, and we were sitting, and there was a bunch of people from town sitting around, and somebody came in, and they were buying a house, and they were going to have passive income, and I remember after they walked out, and Dennis turned and looked at everybody at the table and said, I have passing income. It comes and it goes. <laughs> right. Now, you have an ideal of kind of living independently, but I'm sure you have to compromise sometimes. I saw those, that those water tanks are plastic and you have things you must have to buy at the store. What do you have to buy and what are you hoping to eliminate of those things in the future? Yeah, you go into the grocery store or somewhere to get things and you know everything's over-packaged. We try to buy as much as we can in bulk. We buy a 50-pound bag of oatmeal and then a 50-pound bag of flour. We don't buy two pounds at a time. I think our society in general has just become instant. Like Instagram is the thing on, on your phone. It, it's such an issue for how people approach life. It drives me a little nuts. Yeah, and the phone is, there's my biggest compromise, phones and computers. I could do without them pretty easily. Wes, if somebody listening wants to move towards an off-the-grid lifestyle, where could they look for information and advice? I understand you have workshops here and interns. Yeah, well, my daughter runs this immersion program, and she does workshops on wild edibles or different aspects of farming and fibers. My wife's a hand spinner, so she processes wool and, and yarns and makes things. It seems like nowadays you can get information anywhere, but I think searching on your computer you can come up with so much information it's almost overload you got to start doing it and then when you have questions about something specific that you haven't figured out then you look it up instead of spending a bunch of time reading about how to do it just go start doing it and then 
figure out from there. I think when I did it, I, I just remember having conversations with older folks that lived without and had stories. My parents, my uncles, my grandparents. They just talked about what they do. They all knew how to use an outhouse and how to keep it from smelling. You either throw sawdust or lime down the hole. You just start figuring it out, is what I would tell people. My daughter offers programs for families and groups, and you can go to growwildroots.com is our website. The Instagram is also growwildroots, and you can look at the programs that she offers, and you can also design your own. You can call and have a conversation with her if you want to learn something specific. So now you know a little bit about what's involved in living off the grid up here in the Catskills. Our self-sufficient consultant today was Wes Gillingham of Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor. If you have ideas for future Now You Know segments, email me at stephanie at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guest, Wes Gillingham from Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and financially supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This week on This American Life, retired police officer Aaron Salter in his spare time, he built a car that could run on water. You got your hydrogen for your electrolysis. You got your batteries, your water. He and nine others were killed at the Topps Grocery in Buffalo in May. Their stories, as you've never heard them, this week. Saturday at 6 on Radio Catskill. There's always a story behind the music, how the song was written, why the song was written. I'm Kathy Geary. Join me for Now and Then. Now and Then, Saturday afternoons at 3 on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Good morning. Welcome to Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. Have you ever been home and there's a knock?